Welcome to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Your host, Leonard Birdsong, is a law professor, a former diplomat, and a former federal prosecutor who's here to inform and entertain you with a mix of humor, opinion, and information. Now, here's Leonard Birdsong. Yes, it is Leonard Birdsong on Leonard Birdsong Radio. As you now know, my show is a unique blend of humor, opinion, storytelling, and information. On Leonard Birdsong Radio, you will never hear fake news. Everything is real. Some of it will make you laugh out loud. Some of it's sad, but you'll hear true stories. There will be tidbits of news and some bigger news. I'm going to start generally with my dumb criminal law stories, but I, before I get to that, I, I just came across a recent statistic that I could hardly believe. I was up in the Baltimore, Washington area this past week, and listen to this number, 373,807. This, this is the number or the numbers of solar power workers in the United States. They always said solar energy was a bust, but with 3,000 or 373,807, it's not a bust, particularly when we contrast that with there are only 187,117 American workers in fossil fuel jobs like oil and gas. So solar energy is not a flop. People seem to be using it. As usual, I have the peanut gallery behind me. They uh, they like to be here with you. Yeah, there they are, making themselves known. Okay, fellas, we know you're there. All right. We also have our vice president in charge of looking out the window. He is our weatherman. How's the weather out there, Mr. Vice President? Okay, it's very good in Orlando today. It's a beautiful day. Mr. Weatherman, what do you say when it's raining in Orlando? And it doesn't rain very often. Yep, that's what you say. All right, folks. Well, I hope you've been having a good week. This is, um, for us professors, this is a spring break week, but my research assistant is still at work. She's sending me some news tidbits for you on the, over the facts. You can probably hear that in the background. But that'll, they'll keep coming. But let me start with some of the weird criminal law stories that I've been developing. And uh, some of these stories are funny. Some of them are sad. I don't do this just for the funny, but just to tell you what kinds of things are happening out there in the criminal law world. This first story comes from New York City. The headlines are always good on these stories. The headline on this one reads, Woes of the Fat Felon. Here's the story. William Wobbles Solar, Wobbles is his nickname, a 550-pound accused gun runner, was back in court recently but had major problems fitting into the courthouse elevators and even briefly shutting down a courtroom because of his size. Wobbles and his extra-wide wheelchair could not fit into the inmate transportation elevators of the courthouse, so he was hoisted by way of the freight elevator to his 15th floor, I'm sorry, to his 15th scheduled Bronx court appearance for allegedly leading a crew that sold 93 guns to undercover police officers. 
Once in the courtroom, Wobbles had to remain in the audience side of the courtroom. Why? Well, his wheelchair was so wide, you couldn't get it through the doors to get into the well of the court. You couldn't get to the defense table. When it was time for him to confer with his lawyers about a possible plea deal, the courtroom had to be completely cleared of others in order that he could have the privacy to confer with his lawyer. There were no immediate follow-up news to whether a plea deal had been accepted. Now, this was in May of 2016. The second story I found about this, the headline read, Woes of the Fat Felon, Part 2. In follow-up to the previous story, we learned that gunrunner William Wobbles Solar had shed 80 of his 550 pounds since his arrest a year earlier. He whined about his health in late June 2016, 2016 rather, after a Bronx judge sentenced him to 15 years behind bars following his guilty plea. I'm dying, said Solar, while flipping the bird to reporters from his extra-wide wheelchair while leaving court. His lawyer said, quote, Solar has many serious health problems which explain the weight loss more than his jail diet. The attorney refused to clarify Solar's comment or further explain his medical conditions. Solar actually pled guilty on June 1st, 2016 to 21 charges in a 365-count criminal indictment, allowing him to dodge a 25-year sentence. Well, Mr. Wobbles, I hope you continue to lose weight and get healthy while you're in the slammer. My, my, my. 21 charges out of a 365-count indictment. Now, I, I, I don't know Wobbles at all, but years ago when I was a defense attorney in Washington, D.C., I had a client that was called Big Eddie, supposedly murdered some people. Took a year and a half for him to get to trial, and when the trial came along, he had lost about 80 pounds, and the witnesses could not recognize him. Case dismissed. We walked out together. I haven't seen Big Eddie since. All right, let's go on with these real criminal law stories. Here's one from North Korea that I found. In April 2016, North Korea suffered its first ever bank robbery. First ever bank robbery in the history of the country of North Korea, according to a report from Radio Free Asia. The report revealed that thieves stole about $78,000 or 78000 in North Korean currency from a bank in Shenzhen near the Chinese border. wonder what they did with all that North Korean money, huh? We go to Ohio now. This first story, the headline, Irony at its Best, Maybe. The owner of a gun shop, so let's start again, the owner of a gun shop was shot dead in mid-June 2016 when a student attending a firearm safety class accidentally discharged his weapon. James Baker, who was 64, died at the scene. That's at the KJ Gun Shop in the town of Amelia, Ohio. The county sheriff said that Baker was in a room adjacent to the one where the concealed carry class with 10 students was taking place. One of the participants fired his gun while practicing weapons malfunction drills. A neighbor told a Cincinnati TV station that Baker had spent his life teaching others how to protect themselves. 
irony at its best, ladies and gentlemen. Irony at its best. Another story from Ohio, not as bad as the first one. Here, the headline read, Greg knows no shame for his deed. A man convicted of trying to steal a TV from Walmart was given the opportunity to choose 30 days in jail or 80 hours standing outside the store wearing a T-shirt reading, I am a thief. Greg Davenport, 44, of Liberty Township, Ohio, chose the latter. He said he isn't embarrassed by the punishment. He went on to admit, I stole, I got punished, that's it. He did his 80 hours outside the store. Now, this is the next story comes from Oklahoma, and this is a weird one. And I don't know if there's so much dumb criminals, it's just a dumb story. Here's the headline. Bacon-flavored Bloody Mary Mix Bust. I'll read it again. Bacon-flavored Bloody Mary Mix Bust. Here's the story. A bartender was arrested for infusing vodka with bacon, infuriating his boss, who alleges that he will take the police to court over this. Police contend that soaking the meat, that is bacon, in alcohol violates state liquor production laws. However, the bar owner stands by his special Bloody Mary blend. Hence, the headline, folks, bacon-flavored Bloody Mary mix bust. A bartender was arrested for infusing vodka with bacon. <laughs> oh, God, that is funny. <laughs> All right, let's see what else I have here. Audience, I don't know if you thought that was funny at all. Mildly funny, okay, mildly funny, okay. All right, peanut gallery. Now, you, if you thought that was funny, this next one is really funny. It comes from Russia. The headline read, In this case, the police cannot... Get behind the behind. In this case, the police cannot get behind the behind. Russian police admit that they cannot get behind neighbors upset with a woman who enjoys suntanning her rear end by sticking her legs out of an open second floor window and exposing her bare buttocks. Police in the city of Novosibirsk say they cannot force someone to cover up when they are still technically inside their house. So the police cannot get behind the behind. This next story is from Florida. Sad story, really sad story, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. The headline, As Thin as an Auschwitz Prisoner. Auschwitz was a death camp in Germany during the Second World War. As thin as an Auschwitz prisoner. A woman was charged with neglect after the 96-year-old man she was supposed to be caring for showed up at a hospital so malnourished that he was just skin and bones and weighed only 89 pounds, according to Apopka, Florida police. The man told the police that his caretaker, Alice Kay, we won't reveal her last name, who is 56 years old, threatened to feed him dog feces and refused to let him eat. 
Police report that the doctor at the Florida hospital in Apopka likened him to an Auschwitz prisoner. Police further reported that the man had been fed very little, if at all, over the last month. When he was fed at the hospital, he started eating like a starving dog, according to the treating doctor. Alice Kay was charged with neglect of an elderly person and was taken to the Orange County Jail and held in lieu of bond. The elderly man remained in the hospital for many weeks and will eventually be released to the care of the Department of Children and Families. What a sad story. Wouldn't feed him. Said you have to eat dog feces. Ugh. All right. Last story from my dumb news stories of the week. This one from New York City. The headline, jail for jailhouse sales gal. Let me try that again. The headline, jail for jailhouse sales gal. The story. A longtime corrections officer who ran a jailhouse shopping network that supplied Manhattan inmates with everything from drugs to cigarettes, phones and pliers, was sentenced to six years behind bars at the end of April 2016. Patricia Howard is her name. She was 44 years old. She was sentenced for scheming with an inmate and his niece, gouging prisoners up to $100 for a single pack of cigarettes. Miss Howard was charged with promoting prison contraband while working at the downtown Manhattan Detention Center known as the Tombs between December 2014 and May 2015. My, 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 the things that people do, the things that people do. Well, folks, that's about all I have is way of these kinds of stories. What did you think about that last couple of stories, Peanut Gallery? What do you think? Do you think anything? You didn't like the one about the Auschwitz prisoner, huh? And you didn't like... And, and and you didn't like the one about the, 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 the prison or the jailhouse sales gal? All right. Well, enough of that peanut gallery. Dave, can you take us out? We'll take a pause here, and we'll get ready to hear something on perspectives of Ellis Island. This is Leonard Birdsong on Leonard Birdsong Radio. It's a new year. You're probably making resolutions again, right? Time to find a better job, improve your relationships, and fix your finances. Well, Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to consumerdebtcounselors.org slash birdsong. 
The number again is 800-820-9232. Although he's been involved in serious criminal law work over the years as a prosecutor, a defense attorney, and a law professor, Leonard Birdsong knows that it's good to stay grounded. That means not always taking criminal law so seriously and instead just having a good laugh at some dumb criminals and their dumber crimes. Several years ago, he began to collect and compile weird and funny criminal law stories. He shares some of them weekly on his TalkZone Internet radio program. And now you can read more of them yourself in one of his 14 humor books. He has two book series, Professor Birdsong's Dumbest Criminal Law Stories and Professor Birdsong's Weird Criminal Law Stories stories. They're available for purchase in either paperback or Kindle edition by going to the author link on the homepage at leonardbirdsong.com. Leonard knows that you'll get a few good laughs or at least a few chuckles from his collections of dumb and weird criminal law stories. Check them out for yourself by going to the author link at leonardbirdsong.com. Welcome back to Leonard Birdsong Radio on talkzone.com. This is Leonard Birdsong, and so happy to be here on Talk Zone Radio. It's not a call-in show. It's a show where I talk about things on my mind. However, you might like some of what you hear. If you want to email me, email me at lbirdsong22. That's lbirdsong, the number 22, at gmail.com. Send your email in. I will read them and uh, talk about them on the air. In this segment, I want to talk a little bit about a history of immigration, not the whole history of immigration in the United States, but some things that you might want to know. Most of you have heard of Ellis Island. Ellis Island is a small island that sits in New York Harbor. It's not far from the Statue of Liberty. Many, many people in the late 19th century and early 20th century came from Europe and were processed as immigrants, legal immigrants, at Ellis Island. The statistics say that it's been estimated that nearly four in ten Americans can trace at least one of their ancestors to Ellis Island, that is, coming through Ellis Island. So let me tell you a little bit about Ellis Island. It's interesting. Now, out in California, there is an analogous place called Angel Island near San Francisco, where people from Asia would come into the United States. Now, it was never as busy as Ellis Island because for many years, from about 1895 up until 1943, there was a ban on Chinese laborers coming to the United States. It was called the Chinese Exclusion Act. So not as many people came through Angel Island in San Francisco as did Ellis Island. So let me tell you a little bit more about Ellis Island. On January 1st, 1892, the United States officially opened the Ellis Island Immigration Station. That's what it was called. It quickly became known around the world as the Isle of Hope by people who longed to come to the United States. It stayed open until 1954, and more than 12 million immigrants passed through Ellis Island to begin their new lives in the United States. Now, in 1897, the main building on Ellis Island, where they processed people, burned to the ground, destroying the records of nearly 1.5 million immigrants. A new fireproof building 
was completed three years later. Now, one area of Ellis Island became known as the Kissing Post. Why is that? It was because it was the place where friends and family would first meet their arriving loved ones. The first immigrant to be processed at Ellis Island was a 17-year-old girl from Ireland. Her name? Annie Moore. What else do I know about Ellis Island? Well, there were a number of babies born on the island. Let's see how many. More than 350 babies were born on Ellis Island between 1897 and 1954. Now, the number of immigrants processed at Ellis Island peaked between 1900 and 1914, when about 5,000 to 10,000 immigrants passed through the portals of Ellis Island each day. Let me stress that again. The number of immigrants processed at Ellis Island peaked between 1900 and 1914, when about 5 to 10,000 immigrants passed through each day of the week. On April 17, 1907, 11,747 immigrants were processed at Ellis Island. This was the most ever in a single day. More than one million immigrants moved through Ellis Island that same year. 1907. What about doctor's orders? A team of doctors worked at Ellis Island, and they checked out all the potential immigrants for signs of disease or disabilities using what they call a six-second physical. Those who did not pass this initial inspection were marked with a chalk letter on their closing, clothing rather, and detained for further examination. Now, there are some other people who we derogatorily call WOPs, W-O-P. You've probably heard that, and it's often referred to Italians, and I don't want to just single out Italians. I'm making a point here. The reason this word WAP came along during the late 1900s, early 20th century, a lot of Italians from southern Italy came to the United States through Ellis Island. Some of them didn't have the papers they were supposed to have. So the immigration officers wrote these letters on their material, W-O-P, WAP, without papers. And these people were sent back to Italy. That's where we got the word WAP from. So you can tell your friends about that. Sometimes Ellis Island was called the Isle of Tears by those who failed inspection and were deported back to their original homeland. Well, that's a perspective on immigration. We have an awful lot of people who've come to the United States, particularly through Ellis Island. It closed in 1954. We have other ports of entry now. Almost every airport, certainly international airports in the United States, are ports of entry through which aliens from overseas come through and become immigrants. Many of them have immigrant visas. I have some news tidbits that my uh, research assistant sent me. Read a couple of them before we have to take a pause for the cause. Here's one. You all know that Zimbabwe is a country in Africa. Zimbabwe's still healthy 92-year-old President Robert Mugabe 
should run as a corpse in the next year's election if he dies before the vote. This is what his wife said a few days ago. Grace Mugabe said in Harare, that's the capital, that even if the leader dies, supporters should vote for him to show their love. <laughs> we will see, right? We will see. Here's one about a one big bundle of joy. The look of surprise on Natasha Corrigan's face says it all. She had been through it three times before, but she wasn't expecting her fourth baby to be quite possibly have the title of Australia's biggest baby, tipping the scale at 13.2 pounds. Baby Brian Little Jr. arrived and is the heaviest baby ever born at Mercy Hospital for Women in Heidelberg, which is a, Mil a Melbourne, or Melbourne, Australia suburb. As double the average birth weight at 20 and 22 inches long, he's one of the largest babies ever born in Australia and probably in the world. All right. One more tidbit, and we're going to take a pause for the cause. But stick with us, folks. we got more information. Headline, sober, not this judge. Rochester judge, that's Rochester, New York, Letitia Astacio, on probation for a DWI, allegedly got drunk and refused to leave a restaurant. Um, as a matter of fact, she refused to leave the restaurant's employee bathroom. When threatened with pepper spray, Astacio said, you can't spray me, I'm a judge, according to court papers. She was sprayed, though. She got out of the bathroom. She has been stripped of her duties until further notice, say, court officials. Well, <laughs> sober as a judge, not in this case. This is Leonard Birdsong. You're on Leonard Birdsong Radio. I love to be here with you. Uh, you can see some of my dumb criminal law stories on my blog, www.com. Bird Songs Law. Dave, take us to a break. We'll be back with you soon. It's a new year. You're probably making resolutions again, right? Time to find a better job, improve your relationships, and fix your finances. Well, Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to ConsumerDebtCounselors.org slash birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. 
Are you considering law school? Then you probably have tons of questions about the application process, the admissions process, the benefits of a legal career, and what it takes to succeed in law school. You'll find the answers to these questions and more in Professor Birdsong's Law School Guide, Techniques for Choosing and Applying to Law School. Inside, you'll find helpful chapters on the history of the lawyer, why you should apply to law school, things you need to know about applying, and more. You have the ability and the drive. Now, get the advice that will guide you into the legal profession by helping you successfully submit your application to the law school of your choice. Professor Birdsong's award-winning law school guide, Techniques for Choosing and Applying to Law School. Available for purchase on Amazon.com or through the author link at LeonardBirdsong.com. You're listening to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Professor Birdsong. This is Leonard Birdsong. Happy to be back with you here on TalkZone Radio. A few minutes ago, I gave some information about Ellis Island. This is where many million people came to America from Europe during the late 1900s and the early 20th century. And... Um, some interesting statistics. Four out of ten Americans, or four out of every ten Americans, can trace at least one relative to Ellis Island. Well, I'm here now to talk about not so much the historical thing like Ellis Island, but I want to tell you a little bit about immigration law itself and refugee law, which is a subset of immigration law in the United States. You know, everyone that I have ever spoken to in the United States has an opinion about our immigration laws, but few people have read the law. Most people don't know where to find it. Well, the law is in what's called the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1954. That's been codified into Title Eight of the United States Code Annotated. Most people don't read it. Most people don't know about it. But everybody has an opinion about immigration and how our immigration should be. But let me tell you something about obtaining asylum in the United States. I'm going to give you a little history. International norms for refugee protection were first outlined in what we call the 1951 United States Convention for the Protection of Refugees and later reaffirmed in the 1967 Protocol relating to the status of refugees. Under the Convention and the Protocol, the term refugee applies to, and here's the definition, it applies to any person owning I'm sorry, to any person owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular group, or political opinion, and who is outside his or her country of nationality and is not able or owing to such fear, is unwilling to avail himself or herself of the protection of that country, or who, not having a nationality being outside of the country, is unable or unwilling to return. Now, that was the original 1951 definition. We've codified it into our immigration laws that basically, if you have a well-founded fear of persecution or you've been persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular group or political opinion, and you're outside of your country, and you don't want to go back because you fear further persecution, 
you can apply for asylum. Now, there are two types of asylum. We have overseas asylum where people have left their country and they go to places, sometimes refugee camps, where the United States will send immigration officers to see if these people have a good claim for refugee asylum or refugee status, we call it. They have to prove and show that they have been persecuted. That's the main word, that they've suffered persecution or have a well-founded fear of persecution if they go back to their home country. Now, if people make it to the United States, they can also seek asylum on the grounds that they have been persecuted or have a well-founded fear of persecution. Now, let's get back to that original 1951 convention it only provided protection for World War II refugees. Future refugees the world over are included in the 1967 Protocol. A protocol is an amendment to a treaty. The United States never signed on to the 1951 Convention, but did accede to the Protocol in 1967, which includes all refugees. Now, one of the reasons I am told, and I'm not singling anyone out, many people in the United States did not want us to sign the 1951 convention because it would have brought too many Jews from Europe to the United States. In 1980, Congress did enact its own refugee law into our Immigration and Nationality Act. Now, again, the definition now for us, you must have a well-founded fear of persecution. This must be based on past persecution or the risk of future persecution. The persecution must be on account of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. And the persecutor must be the government or someone who the government is unwilling or unable to control. Now, that definition applies to people from Syria who are overseas and who want to come to the United States. They have to prove a well-founded fear of persecution or past persecution because of their race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or standing in a particular social group. As well, it applies to people who've already made it to the United States and want to apply for asylum. What about eligibility for asylum? The legal remedy for asylum is available to both non-citizens legally in the United States and to undocumented non-citizens who are seeking protection from persecution they faced or would face in their home country on account of one of the several specific grounds that I told you about. Thus, not all immigrants are protected from persecution. Rather, the persecution must have a connection to the specific protected characteristics of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. I can't emphasize that enough. That's what must be proven. An asylum request is automatically considered as an application for an alternate claim of relief known as withholding of removal. Now, both forms of relief require that the claimant demonstrate a certain quantum of persecution that the individual suffered in his or her home country or would suffer if returned there, and both require a connection, that is, a nexus between the persecution, one of the protected grounds, 
1996, an amendment to the INA, that's the Immigration Nationality Act, mandated that a claim of asylum must be made within one year of arriving in the United States. Up until 1996, you could have been in the United States for 20 years, legally or unlegally, and something changes in your country, and you wanted to apply for asylum. Now, you basically have one year to apply for asylum. There's more. While the legal concepts of asylum and withholding of removal appear nearly identical, they have important differences. Asylum is subject to what we call the discretion of the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security or the Attorney General of the United States, whereas withholding of removal, if proven, is a mandatory form of relief. A person granted asylum may be eligible for permanent residency after 12 months. So most litigants prefer asylum. A grant of asylum will allow allow the applicant after one year to adjust his or her status to that of a legal permanent residence. Now, withholding of removal only guarantees that the person will not be forcibly returned to his or her own country of origin and does not preclude the possibility of being removed to a third country. The applicable applicable standard of proof is also higher in a withholding of removal than it is in an asylum grant. In order to obtain a withholding of removal, the claimant must show a clear probability of persecution. The showing for asylum is only a well-founded fear of persecution. Now, this sounds sort of crazy, but this is the way our laws are written. Now, there are only two types of applications for asylum, which are termed either affirmative applications or defensive applications. Asylum applicants applying for withholding of removal and applicants seeking relief under what's known as the Convention Against Torture, who are not currently under immigration deportation proceedings but have a fear of persecution if they're returned to their homeland, may file an affirmative application by mailing a form I-589, that's the immigration form, I-589, to a regional United States Citizenship and Immigration Service, USCIS, center, which is under the auspices of the Department of Homeland Security. Now, when you file that application, a specialized core of full-time professional asylum officers receive the application and review the review the applications, and then interview the applicants. Asylum officers grant asylum in meritorious cases, which initially had been only between 15 and 39%, but in recent years, it's exceeded 40%. Now, the reason for that, in my opinion, is we now have better lawyering with respect to refugee law and immigration law, because people like me who was who, who were diplomats overseas know what to tell our clients and teach our students about representing people with claims for asylum. Personally, I've represented a lot of people with claims for asylum. So if you file an affirmative application for asylum, there's a 40 percent chance that you will be granted asylum. The immigration officers do not deny the other 60% of the cases. Instead, they refer them to the immigration court 
placing the cases in removal proceedings. They used to be called deportation proceedings, but now they call it removal proceedings, but it's the same thing. Once in these removal proceedings, those applicants who did not receive a grant of asylum with respect to their affirmative application may now renew their application for asylum by renewing their request for asylum as a defensive application. The affirmative I-589 application becomes part of the immigration court record. And for those individuals placed in removal proceedings who never file an affirmative application may file one once they get to court. Now, it's time for us folks to take another break, but there's more information I want to give you on this. I hope you're listening to it. This is important stuff that a lot of people don't know. But on Leonard Birdsong Radio, there's no fake news. I'm here to tell you about it. Dave, take me out. It's a new year. You're probably making resolutions again, right? Time to find a better job, improve your relationships, and fix your finances. Well, Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to consumerdebtcounselors.org slash birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. You're listening to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Professor Birdsong. Yeah, this is Leonard Bertrand back with you. I've been talking about getting asylum in the United States, and I hope you've been listening. The peanut gallery likes what they hear, what they've heard, but I have just a little bit more for you. What about immigration court proceedings and appeals? Immigration judges, known as IJs, provide the initial evaluation of all defensive applications for asylum, withholding of removal, and provide a second review of affirmative applications referred by asylum officers. The pre-exists, um, let me say, in the latter situation, the immigration judge reads or receives the pre-existing I-589 with its attachments from the asylum officer along with copies of the charging document. Applicants are allowed to supplement their claim in the immigration court and put in initial papers and come up with additional witnesses who may be able to testify. Now, this allows the case to be heard in a more formal setting of the immigration court where witnesses may be examined and cross-examined by the asylum seekers. Counsel and the Department of Homeland Security counsels are the prosecutors. To be clear, if deportation proceedings are underway, the applicant can apply for asylum by presenting his defensive application. Now, that application is heard exclusively by the immigration judges. At the hearing in immigration court, on their 260 
three of such courts across 27 states of the United States, Puerto Rico, Northern Mariana Islands, and we have a number of judges on these courts. At the hearing, the asylum applicant must present evidence to avoid being deported. The Department of Homeland Security will present evidence and argument in support of its decision to refuse asylum. Evidence presented must be relevant and conform to the requirements of the Constitutional Due Process Clause. The burden of proof, though, unlike in a criminal case, the burden of proof in an asylum case is on the applicant to establish that the applicant is a refugee within the meaning of the statute. The one I read you earlier, that you're fleeing persecution or a well-founded persecution because of your race, religion, nationality, your political opinion or particular standing or standing in a particular so, so a particular social group. If the claimant persuades the immigration judge that she meets the statute's asylum requirements, then the judge may grant asylum for an indefinite amount of time. In addition, the claimant's immediate family members who are still abroad may join him or her in the United States. If the immigration judge denies the asylum request, the applicant can appeal to what's called the Board of Immigration Appeals. The BIA reviews all appeals from immigration courts throughout the United States. Now, I think I've given you enough to have an idea. There's a lot to immigration in the United States. But I'm here to help you out a little bit and tell you something about it. And in next shows or in shows coming up, I may tell you a little bit more. But for now, that's all I can tell you for today. But I want to finish this program on sort of a high note. As you know, we usually have some riddles at the end. One of my colleagues, Catherine, really likes them. Hope you do, too. I hope she's doing okay and listening to the program. At any rate, here are some riddles for you, and that's going to take us throughout the end of the show. But I'm so happy that you have listened today and stayed with me here on Talk Zone Radio. The first riddle. Why are pianos so hard to open? Think about it. Why are pianos so hard to open? What's the answer? Well, it's because the keys are on the inside. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's a good one. Here's another one. What is smaller than an ant's mouth? What is smaller than an ant's mouth? Well, you should know what's smaller than an ant's mouth is an ant's dinner. <laughs> yeah, peanut gallery gets it. All right, let's move on. Here's another one. How do porcupines play leapfrog? How do porcupines play leapfrog? Well, folks, if you haven't figured it out, they play leapfrog very, very carefully. <laughs> I like that. Why do elephants never forget? Why do elephants never forget? It's because nobody ever tells them anything. 
right. It wasn't that funny, folks. All right. Well, we're going to keep going here. We got one or two more that I want to read to you. What do you call a flying skunk? What do you call a flying skunk? Think about it. Think hard. Give you a couple of seconds. What do you call a flying skunk? Well, the answer is you'd call it a smelly copter. <laughs> a smelly copter. <laughs> I like that myself. All right. Last drill. What kind of socks do pirates strike that? Let's start again. What kind of socks do pirates wear? What kind of socks do pirates wear? Think about it. Par- pirates wear argyle socks. <laughs> you like that? Well, I like that one too. Well, listen, folks, this is Leonard Birdsong Radio that you're listening to. Okay, folks, stop it. That's the peanut gallery. They sometimes get out of hand. At any rate, it's been great being with you. I wish I had longer to be on the air, but you can read some of my dumb criminal law stories if you'd like to on my blog. It's uh, available all over the world. Just go to www.birdsongslaw.com. All one word, birdsongslaw.com. You can read many of my dumb criminal law stories online. Also, you can go to my website, leonardbirdsong.com. You can read more about me. You can see all of my books, my little bookstore, books I have for sale. They're very inexpensive. It's 14 humor books on dumb criminal law stories, a book about going to law school or choosing to go to law school, and also I have a book on immigration that you might want to read. So don't forget leonardbirdsong.com. Don't forget my blog, www.birdsongslaw.com. And you can also email me by writing me at lbirdsong22 at gmail.com. It's been great, folks. I hope you have a good weekend coming up. I've had fun being with you. It's time to take me out, Dave. Thanks so much. 